You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. All right. Good to see you all again. A couple different things here. I, I do have a handout today which is very different for me. That means I was either like really organized or uh, a miracle happened. So I did that because uh, sometimes when you're you know, preaching, you want to say everything, and um, I don't want you guys to be here too long. And so I provided that for you. That, that's a lot of what I'll cover today, but it'll free you from having to write down everything. It'll free me from having to say everything. And so um, you can refer to that later. You can follow along if you want, um, but a lot of the stuff uh, I'll say, the main stuff is there. Um, so that's really for your benefit. Uh, and for my benefit. So um, what I want to do today is um, we're going to step out of the book of Nehemiah slightly um, because uh, I have a a real heart for spiritual formation and growing in uh, our relationship with the Lord. And so I want to take a a moment to really uh, teach on that today, share from my own life what the journeys look like, and really uh, ultimately, obviously, see what the Bible has to say about it. And so I'll just start by asking you this question. How many of you would say, you know, I know, uh, I know the gospel in my mind. I could recite it. Uh, I know who God is. I know he loves me. But I don't really feel that all that much. Anybody in here ever struggle with that? Um, <clears throat> I struggle with that. Um, we know what the Bible says, but sometimes we don't, maybe oftentimes, we don't actually feel it. It doesn't impact us at an emotional and at a heart level. And so... Um, you know, our, our relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship, right? So if you're in a marriage, for example, and you know a lot about your spouse, but you don't really feel much towards them, uh, you're not feeling a lot of passion towards them, that wouldn't be a great marriage, would it? That wouldn't be a great relationship. And so what does it take in a marriage to, uh, to light that passion and that fuel? Well, you have to be intentional with your spouse. You have to spend time with them. You have to get to know them. And they have to get to know you. That's called intimacy. And so it's the same is true with, with God. We're in a relationship with God because of the blood of Christ, because of the cross. But it's like we, we just stuck at the wedding day and we have not actually stepped into an actual marriage in a relationship with him. And so I want to talk about, well, how do we do that? What does it look like to move into a deeper relationship? And in particular, I want to talk about the spiritual practice of fasting. Now, uh, I imagine there's maybe a number of different um, thoughts when I say fasting. Maybe you're like, I I don't actually know what that is or means. Maybe you think um, we don't need to do that because we're Christians. Um, Maybe you um, are thinking, even if we did, that's just not really practical. I've got kids. I've got a job. I don't have the time to do whatever this fasting thing is. And so I'm going to address some of those um, objections later, but the reason I want to share this with you today is because over the last two years, I have begun to practice this. And I was, maybe as some of you are, going, what is this for? I think we're supposed to do it. I know we don't have to do it. I've tried it. It doesn't go very well. It makes me angry. I don't like being hungry. I like to eat. Anybody like to eat here? Why would I do this? And then um, about a year and a half ago, at the beginning of 2022, I had been exposed to some really good teaching and some good stories, and I began to fast slowly, okay? 
um, a meal, I, I just started with a meal a week. And then um, I moved towards two meals, 24 hours. And then I moved towards a three-day fast and then a seven-day fast. And you know, this didn't all happen like consecutively. This was over months. Um, and then incredibly, the summer of 2022, I did a 40-day fast. Now, I don't say that to brag about that. I say that because something changed in me as I began to practice fasting and what I would say with the right spirit and in the right way and for the right reasons. And the major difference was I began to feel what a spirit-empowered fast felt like. And it was different from just being hungry. Amen? So I want to share with you why I think that's important, what that's been like, and hopefully invite you into this practice with me as a church to experience more of God. As we just sang, I surrender because I want more of you, Lord. You guys know that we will never, ever come to the end of enjoying who God is. John 17.3 says that this is eternal life, that you know God the Father and the Son whom he has sent. Eternal life is defined as knowing God, not knowing about him, not being able to list the attributes of God. It's not a bad thing. We should do that knowing personally as you would know your spouse, as you would know your friend, as you would know your kids. Eternal life is knowing God forever and ever and ever. And if we really believe that, we would get excited about the opportunity and the possibility of knowing God in this way, okay? That's my heart. That's my goal. So we're going to talk about what is fasting. Um, should we even do it? I'm going to tell you why I think we should. Uh, and then we're going to talk about well, how do we, why do we do it, okay? And then, then how do we actually do this? And then surprise, at the end, I'm going to call the church to participate in a corporate fast. Sound fun? Who's excited? I'm excited. This is so great. Well, before we do that, let me tell you a story from history, and there's lots of these, about the power of fasting, all right? So we have a wonderful picture here of the Spanish Armada. Now, the Spanish Armada in the 16th century was the mightiest fleet ever assembled and was commissioned by Spain, by the Pope, to sail on England and take out Elizabeth I, the Protestant Queen of England. So back in that day, the, you know, the Reformation, the Church of England separated from uh, the Pope, and there's all these wars and bloodshed and all this stuff. And so the Pope sent the Spanish Armada to go and take out the Queen and basically reclaim England for Catholicism. And so the Armada consisted of some 130 ships, 18,000 soldiers, compared to the English fleet, which was 80 ships, 50 of those being just privateers, so not even really in the Navy. Okay, so things are not looking good for England. Queen Elizabeth calls the nation to fasting and prayer. Calls the nation to fasting and prayer. The Armada sails, the battle ensues, and there's lots of details I'm, I'm leaving out, but basically the Spanish plans to sail the Armada were frustrated continually by unfavorable winds. Interesting. Furthermore, the British had employed a new tactic of fighting this uh, gigantic fleet, which is more like guerrilla warfare for, uh, for naval vessels, you could say, and burned many other ships. And so the Spanish decided to uh, unmoor and, 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 and retreat up to the North Sea 
And when they did that, they met uncharacteristically bad weather. Some even say hurricane force winds. And their fleet was destroyed. And here's the final numbers. The final tally was four Spanish ships lost in battle, 59 sunk by bad weather. 7,000 Spaniards died. On the other side, not one English seaman was lost. After the defeat of the Armada, the queen and the Protestant leaders gave thanks to God for answering their prayers. Now, does that mean fast? It's, it's not like a fasting didn't, you can't just fast and have God do amazing things for you. But this is an interesting story. We can speculate at what happened. And there seems to be a connection. And so, all that to say, fasting has the power to change history. Even in the book of Nehemiah, which we'll look at, do you remember how it starts? Nehemiah fasted and prayed before he did anything. So, let's talk about fasting. We're going to look at Nehemiah 1 real quick, and then we're actually going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 9. You can go there if you want and follow along. Let me pray for our time, and um, we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you for the grace of fasting. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to bring us into a relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you in that way, hasn't given their life to you, hasn't experienced freedom in Christ, that you would move them today to cross that line of faith and say yes to you and enter into the, 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 the most amazing relationship they will ever have. God, I want to lift up the Middle East today. I lift up Israel, Palestine, and all the suffering that's going on over there, Lord. Thousands um, have died. And God, we don't understand your purposes. We don't understand your timeline of the end of the age here, but we know somehow Israel plays a part in that. And so, God, we're just praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're praying for justice. We're praying, God, that you would use this to move in a powerful way across the Middle East. God, we love you. We give you this time. We pray this in your name and by your spirit. Amen. All right, well, let's just look briefly at Nehemiah just to prove to you what I said. You remember the very beginning? Let's look at just verses 1 to three, uh, one to 4 here, and we read this. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, uh, Hanani, one of the brothers, came with a certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is uh, in the province who had survived the exile and is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard this, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we don't know how long he did this for. This was a practice in the Old Testament. Fasting was a, a, a way to mourn, uh, but really it's a way to connect with God. And so I would ask the question, what did this accomplish for Nehemiah? What could we speculate about what this accomplished? And we don't really know, but if we read verses 5 to 11 there is actually Nehemiah's prayer. He's praying to God. He's confessing the sins of Israel. He's repenting. He's saying, remember who you are. Remember that, uh, that, that how you worked through Moses. And he's in pleading for the Lord to do something here. And then we get to verse uh, 4 of chapter 2, and he's talking to the king at this point. And the king asked him, what are you requesting? And he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that. He's being asked, and he pauses to say, Lord, 
Would you please grant us success? Would you, would you grant us success? And of course, we know what happens. He says, yes. He goes to Jerusalem. And look at chapter 2, verse 12. Nehemiah's in Jerusalem, and he goes out by night to the wall, and he's inspecting it. And here's what we read. I rose at night, and there were a few men with me. I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So let me just connect some dots that I think. Nehemiah is fasting and praying and asking God, what do I do? My heart is broken. And evidently at some point, God puts into the heart of Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall and to go before the king, which by the way, could have cost him his life. So I'm speculating that perhaps in Nehemiah's time of fasting and prayer is when the Lord put it in his heart to go and do this thing for Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Could be wrong, but I can make an argument for it. Now, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's a long list of people that practice fasting. Moses, Daniel, Ezra, Esther, David, to name a few. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, Jesus, uh, Paul, and the disciples. And sin on your handout, you can you know, look those up, uh, references, if you want to check that out. And so um, fasting was a regular practice in the Bible. Let me say this before I forget. Fasting is always accompanied by prayer. Fasting is always accompanied by prayer, by talking to the Lord and hearing from him. So let's define what fasting is real quick. Give you a definition from Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. It says this, throughout scripture, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. You might ask, does it have to be food? Well, in the Bible, it's typically food. In fact, I think every example is food. Okay, some of us um, you say, well, can I fast from social media? Can I fast from entertainment? Can I do those things? Of course you can. That's a good thing to do is you're combining it with prayer. Um, but there's something in particular about denying yourself a need, a physical need to survive that enhances and intensifies the experience of fasting. Okay, so fasting is abstaining from food. Uh, what are some types of fasts? We could do a water-only fast. fast. Um, you could do a fast of just like soups and uh, uh, shakes and stuff like that. You can do a, a fast of vegetables, which is commonly known as a Daniel fast. And so there's different ways that you can fast. Um, and so that's what fasting is. Abstaining from food for what? For spiritual purposes. So what does that mean? What are spiritual purposes that we might fast for? And there's a number of reasons that you would fast in the Bible. Again, this is, you can look these up, but a couple to, to name a few for direction. Asking the Lord, what, what, where do I go? Uh, in, in this particular case, Acts 13 is a good example of that. Uh, for protection, God, would you protect us from this invading army or um, from this particular thing? Um, you can, again, there's some references there you can look at. Uh, for spiritual effectiveness, there's a story in Mark chapter 9, if you remember, they come down from the mountain. The boy is possessed by a demon. His disciples can't uh, deliver him. And, and Jesus ends up telling them this is because this kind can only come out through fasting and prayer fasting and prayer. Now, usually that's a footnote in your Bible because not every manuscript says it, but uh, I think it's, it's there, fasting and prayer. And then uh, number four here, fast, fasting for greater intimacy with the Lord. That's really the one I want to focus on because that's the one Jesus actually talks about. All right, let me clarify a couple things. Um, first off, what fasting is not. Okay, fasting is not a way to earn favor with God. Fasting doesn't earn you anything with God. He won't love you more. Okay, that's settled at the cross, amen? God loves you through Jesus. He loves you and you can't do anything um, to remove his love, okay? It's not a way to earn favor, not a way to make God love you more. It's not a way to manipulate God to get what you want, okay? This isn't like put a quarter in the vending machine and get what you want out of it. That's not how fasting works. 
Okay, it's not a way to look more spiritual. Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you fast, do so in secret. Make it look like everything's fine. Don't practice your righteousness to be seen by others. It's not a way to advance spiritually. Okay, what is fasting? A couple clarifying things. Fasting ultimately is a way to posture yourself to experience more of the presence of God. Think of it like this. Uh, coming closer to a bonfire to warm your heart. That's what fasting is. You're positioning yourself closer to the bonfire of God's love for you, and he's softening and melting your cold heart, okay? It's a way to live out self-denial that Jesus says, if you follow me, you have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, okay? It's a way to fight sin. It's a way to engage in spiritual warfare, It's a way to more clearly hear from God. And we'll talk about why some of those things are. Okay, so fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. So should we fast? Maybe you're wondering, should we fast? And again, maybe your objection is it's just not practical. And, you know, in America, we're we're so used to having food all the time, anytime we want, right? Any Jim Gaffigan fans here? Tells a funny story about how much Americans eat. In fact, that's all we do is eat on the way to going to dinner. Let's stop off and get a snack and eat on the way there. We're so used, we have so much food here. Let me read this quote God does give us the grace to fast, even to people in the Western culture. Beloved, there, are, there has never been a society less physically challenged on a day to day basis than this one. Modern, uh, modern conveniences assure us a sedentary existence compared with previous generations, and most of us have to invent ways to exert ourselves. We tell ourselves that fasting is too hard and that we will be too tired and uncomfortable when in actuality the fear of fasting is far worse than fasting itself. Sometimes it's just a step of faith. Listen, you're not going to die if you miss a meal. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Okay? Some would say, well, this is legalistic. We don't have to fast. I say, you're right. You do not have to fast. Fasting is not a gospel issue. Fasting doesn't save you. Doesn't do any of that. Jesus' death on a cross saves you from sin. So you don't have to fast in that sense. But neither do you, strictly speaking, need to pray, need to read the Bible, need to be in community. You don't need to do those things. That doesn't save you, but it is part of what it means to walk with God. It is part of what it means to uh, to grow in your relationship with him. So amen, we don't have to do it, but we are invited to experience more of who God is. So do we need to fast? No, we don't need to fast. But if we want to experience more of who God is, this is one way that we can experience more of who God is. Okay? So let's look at what Jesus had to say about fasting, because I'm just going to default to him. And here's what he says. Just two places we'll look at. Matthew 6, 16, 18, which I already quoted. He says this, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, okay? And say, if you fast, says, when you fast. So there seems to be an assumption that following Jesus would, would mean fasting. And then Matthew uh, 9, 15 says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. Okay, the disciples of John, they're coming and saying, why don't your disciples fast? And we're going to talk about this in a moment. 
But notice he says, they will fast then. So we don't need to fast, but it does sure seem like Jesus taught that this was part of what it means to follow him. Okay, I'm just underscoring now why we would even talk about this. Jesus thought it was important enough to talk about, so we should talk about it. Amen? So let's look at why should we fast then? What happens when we fast? Let's look at Matthew 9, 14 to 17. So then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. We'll, we'll stop right there. And if you're like me, you go, Jesus, how is that an answer? <laughs> what, is it, what are you talking about? What does that mean? So let's just comment on these. Um, we'll look at uh, 14 to, to 15, then we'll look at 16 to 17. So first off here, fasting. Okay, this is interesting, right? When they will fast. And he gives us this image of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. Okay? Now, we see this all throughout Scripture. Actually, in the Old Testament, Hosea, for example, God talks about uh, his people. He talks about him being a husband and his people being the bride. Isaiah 62 says, God's going to rejoice over you as a husband rejoices over his bride. Okay, in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, Paul compares Christ in the church to a husband and wife. Okay, Revelation. Jesus literally called the bridegroom and we're called the bride. Revelation 19 and 21 and 22. There is the wedding supper of the lamb. Okay, so this is a paradigm that we don't often think much about. It's called the bridal paradigm where God says, I am your husband and you are my wife. And he's making the point that this is the kind of relationship, the intensity of passion and feeling that God has for us and he wants us to have for him. So God is our, Jesus is our bridegroom. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, now think, now just catch this. The disciples are with Jesus for three years. They're not fasting this time because they're, they're enjoying the presence of God incarnate as Jesus the man. They're enjoying the presence of God. But he says, when I'm taken away, death, resurrection, ascension, then they will fast. Why will they fast then? Because they no longer are in the immediate presence of God. And so fasting in the New Testament, Piper, John Piper in his book, Hunger for God, says this, that fasting is really uh, our hunger for God, precisely because we have tasted the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, and we long for the consummation of it. So fasting is a way to to uh, uh, press into this hunger, this longing for this experience of who God is, this longing for the bridegroom to be with the bride. It's an expression of the longing for more of God. Here's what he said. Let me just quote him. John Piper says, it's the essence of Christian fasting is this. We ache and we yearn and we fast to know more and more of all that God is for us in Jesus, but only because he has already laid hold of us and is drawing us ever forward and upward into him, into the fullness of God. So we are fasting uh, um, of an expression of longing for the fullness of God. Longing for the consummation of the kingdom. Longing for Jesus to come. Longing for him to put it into sin and suffering. So that's what he means by the bridegroom and the bride. There's an intimate connection between Jesus and his people. So let's look at the next couple of verses in verses 16. Because he goes on uh, to talk about um, new wineskins. You've probably heard this before. So he, he makes this point. And then he goes right into this, verse 16. 
No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, so both are preserved. Now, there's lots of opinions about what Jesus is talking about here, but it is interesting that it comes right on the heels of his teaching on fasting and his teaching on the relationship between God and his people. And so we know something new came in the New Testament, right? Something new exists for New Testament believers that didn't exist in the same way for Old Testament believers. And that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God with us. John chapters 14 to 16 talk of this intimate relationship with, where God the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in us and we're in him. And there's this amazing relationship that's happening. This is the new wine of the New Testament, the, the Holy Spirit. And the new wineskins speak of new structures, a new way of being the church that's not centered on the synagogue, but is centered on the true temple of God, the people of God, as Ephesians 2 says. So he's making a very radical statement that something monumental is shifting in the people of God. And so we should fast because we love Jesus, because we want to experience more of him. And if you're like me, it's so easy to get distracted in our day. And as I said in the beginning, not actually experience the goodness of God and actually feel it in our hearts. Not to not feel his affection for us because he loves you. That's not just a concept. It's an emotion. It's an intensity. It's an affection for you. Okay? So what actually happens when we fast? Let's break this down a little bit. I love this. Bob uh, Sorge in his book, The Secrets of the Secret Place. He says, There is no spiritual merit in fasting. It doesn't earn extra points with God, but it does tenderize your spirit, sensitize your hearing, and enhance your ability to receive life from God. It tenderizes your spirit. How does this happen? <clears throat> it's interesting in the, in the rise of modern fasting, intermittent fasting, maybe you've participated or read about it. Um, this is a thing these days in our culture, but it's not for spiritual purposes. It's because people still want to eat what they want to eat and they want to lose weight, right? But there are benefits. Lots of, there's actually lots of benefits to fasting. I have this chart that... Um, someone gave me that I'll share with you that you can just look at for a moment. It, it, it literally talks about the, the, the physical benefits of fasting. Okay? Um, I'd like you to look at that. It's just interesting to me that God in his wisdom called his people to fast, perhaps because there's actual physical benefits from that. And so when you fast, you are cleansing toxins from your body and your body's resetting. I think the same thing is happening spiritually. You're cleansing your body from, from sin that you've done, from sin against you. You're doing that through repentance, but it's tenderizing you to be able to receive more of God. And you're removing these toxins from your soul so you can experience intimacy with the Lord. And so what actually happens when you fast? Well, in my experience, number one, you're hungry. Okay, it's not a bad thing to be hungry. But when that happens, I've noticed for me, there's a heightened sense of clarity and focus. There's a heightened sense of energy that's hard to explain. Um, I tend to have a greater sensitivity to, to my own emotions, both positive and negative, and a greater sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. I can't exactly explain why that's happening, uh, but this is, this is how I typically experience it. And part of what happens when you're fasting is um, it reveals what's actually controlling us inside. 
and therefore allows us to repent. It reveals our true desires, both godly and ungodly, and those of the spirit of the flesh. Richard Foster says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. So often we medicate with food or other things because of our circumstances and the pain in our life, and we just want comfort. And food is so easy. I, I'm very guilty of that. Okay? But listen to what he, he goes on to say this. <clears throat> Richard Foster, anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. And at first we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. And then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. So if you ever fasted, um, it's easy to get irritable because you're hungry and angry. And, and Richard's saying, that hunger's not making you angry. That anger was there. It's now just being revealed. And that's actually a grace of God because it shows us in our heart, what are the things that are controlling us? and allows us then to repent and turn away from those things, which results in a greater experience of God, a greater um, sensitivity to him, a greater exp- a feeling of his love. Here's the thing. God doesn't love us any more or less, right? He loves us 100%. He loves us now, today, the same he's going to love us in a billion years, the same intensity. But what does change is our experience of God's love. So we fast not to change God's heart, but to change our heart. And so the way fasting works is we actually enlarge our ability to experience God's love. It hasn't changed, but now we've opened it up a bit more and we can experience a bit more of it. And so the more we do that, the more we can experience this love. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not really the knowledge of the gospel that compels us to, to minister other. It's the experience of it. It's the experience of God's love that really drives us in a sustaining way to share the love of God. Now we can all go out and share the love of God, but sooner or later, we're going to run out of steam because we've left the fuel that's actually driving that thing, which is the experience of, love's God, of God's love. Amen? And so how do we make it in ministry? How do we make it in life? Uh, a long obedience in the same direction. It's not willfulness. It's not willpower. It's the experience of God's love for you. And we need to feed that daily. And we need to fast regularly. So what fasting does, I think, is actually brings us into the ultimate reality of what's going on spiritually in us. And by doing so, we can come into greater contact with the living God. Okay? So, my conclusion, do we have to fast? No, we don't have to fast. It's not a gospel issue. But if we want to grow in our experience of God, we're invited to fast. So, what does this look like? How do we grow in this? How do we do this? And I'll just give you four things here. We have a slide for this. Four things we can move into. First off, regularly. I want to fast regularly. Okay, what does that mean? It can mean different things for you. Whatever you do, start slow and build up. Okay, as I shared, I started one meal a week. And I did that for a while. Then I moved to two meals a week. And I did that for a while. And then I tried three days. And I, and I did that for a while. And so the more you do it, the more you experience, like a muscle. Okay? So do it regularly. Find some pattern, whatever that is for you. Number two, do it for the right reasons and with the right heart. Again, Fasting doesn't earn you anything, 
but it does posture you to experience more of who God is. Um, so we want to do it with the right heart because we want to experience the fullness of God. Not to get anything, not to earn anything, not to make God do something for us, but because we want more of him. Okay? The right heart for the right reasons. Number three, do it responsibly. Okay? Be, uh, make healthy decisions for wherever you are. If you're pregnant, please don't do a water-only fast. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. Okay? Maybe you have other, maybe you have medical conditions that prevent you from doing that. Don't feel bad about that. It's okay. Um, I would say fast from what you can, but don't feel pressure. So God's going to honor the heart, not the actual practice of it, right? So pay attention, make healthy decisions, do it responsibly. Okay? Pick the right kind of fast. Okay? I, I have not done very many water-only fasts. Recently, I've done a couple of those just for a day. Most of my fasting has been like shakes uh, with no food. Um, I've never done Daniel fast. I'm not a big fan of vegetables. But... <laughs> the Lord's probably going to convict me after this, and I will do a Daniel fast soon. Okay, fast from food if possible. This is the idea. This is biblically what we see. But there are other things you do. It's fine to fast from social media. It's fine to fast from these things. Um, but there is something to fasting from food. Again, start slow and build up. And on your handout, there's a little example of what that might look like. You can look at that. Um, number four, fast in the right way. Uh, and most importantly here, biblical fasting is a grace-empowered fasting. There are many times where I would begin a fast, but I wouldn't know how long the fast was. I wouldn't even really know if I was supposed to fast. But I started the fast, and I felt the empowering presence of God. So I started this 40-day fast. I didn't actually know it was going to be 40 days. I suspected, fearfully, that it was 40 days. But I went for about five, six days, and I felt the empowering presence, and I felt confirmed in my spirit that, yes, this is a 40-day fast. So just start. But it's empowered by grace, okay? That's so important. Um, Okay, fasting always involves prayer. Okay, again, in the right way, you always want to do that. And the way I did that is, this is what changed for me a little bit last, um, last January. Instead of just going without food, at the mealtime, I would actually just stop what I was doing, turn over my desk, open the Bible, I'd read it, and I would feed on it, and I would pray for 30 minutes. That's actually what I think changed things for me. It's not just not eating, it's engaging with the Lord. And so if you move into a fast, during that time you would eat, step away from whatever you're doing and spend time with the Lord. That's what this is about. It's being intentional in your relationship with him. Um, Take time to read and meditate on his word while you're doing that. Some examples, um, some verses that I uh, uh, would, would meditate on, and I would encourage you to do this. They're on your handout, John 4, 31 to 34. Jesus says this, Uh, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Meditate on that truth as you're fasting. Something feeds our soul rather than food. And it's the will of God, the desire of God. Okay? We live by, not by bread, but what? Out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You begin to experience that in a spiritual sense. Okay? There's some other verses you can look at. Meditate on these verses. Okay? Another thing I do, when you feel that hunger pain throughout the day, that's a trigger and a signal to pray. Talk to the Lord. Maybe you're praying for a particular thing. Pray for it then. Okay? Those are helpful reminders. Number five, what's really been helpful, read about fasting. It's, in, it's incredible like how much more meaningful a book on fasting is when you're in the middle of fasting. 
I was like, this is so good. I love this. But if it wasn't fasting, I'd be like, why am I reading this? Something changes in you because you're hungry. You want to feed me, okay? So there's some books I put on the, on the handout you could check out if you want to learn more. So finally, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, right? So that was really nice information, Justin. Thanks for sharing that with me. I'm never going to think about fasting again. James tells us, don't just be hearers of the, do, of the word. Be doers of the word. Do what I say. Why? Because you have to know. Because of what I started with. Do you want to experience God's love more? I hope your answer is yes. I do. God's saying here is an avenue to do that. So in a month when you're angry that you don't experience God more, did you, have you done anything he's told you to do <laughs> to experience more of him? If you're hungry, what do you do? You eat some food. If you want to experience more of God, what do you do? You do the things that God has said will help you experience more of him. Prayer, reading the word, being in community, worshiping together, fasting. Okay? So I'm just encouraging you to add this to your walk with Jesus. It's one of the most powerful things in, in my life, and it's really changed a lot of things in my life. Maybe you've noticed over the last year, lots of things have changed for me. Um, but I'm hearing the Lord more than I ever have. And I'm experiencing his love more than I ever have. And my heart has remained tender and soft through many of the difficulties we've had here over the years. And that's a testament to who God is. So last thing I'll say here, and I'm going to invite Jill up in a moment to share a story. Um, as I said, I actually want to call, we've talked to the leadership team, and we always want to invite the church to a 24-hour fast. 24-hour fasting and prayer. Does that sound fun? Don't just say that because I'm standing up here. Sign me up. Okay. We're, we'll get the details out. We're looking at actually the 28th of October because we're going to gather on the 29th in the gym. We're going to do a meal. We're going to do the Operation Christmas Child. So how cool is it to break that fast together corporately? So my, my thought is we're going to start it Saturday evening and we're going to break it Sunday evening. And again, we'll get more details out about what that will look like. Uh, but that's what, what we'd love to want to invite you to do that because the reality is the church, we're at, a, we're at a pivotal time. And this church has been praying like crazy, and I'm so just blown away. I tell my pastor friends that you guys prayed for like 100 days straight. They, they didn't even believe me. I said, oh, they really did. I wasn't even there. It's amazing. Let's see what the problem is. Um, you guys are hungry for this. We're, we're at an important time in, in one hope. We don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. We seek the Lord, and we seek him in these ways. Who knows what he might do? So as John keeps saying, let's give God an opportunity to surprise us. Let's press in further. So I invite us as a church to fasting, a 24-hour fast. Now, again, if you can't do 24 hours, that's fine. Do a meal. Do sweets. Do, pick something. Some of us, we're going to try to do the whole thing, and it's going to be great. All right? So um, we want to tell stories here. So I invite Jill up because she has a really cool story from last spring um, where she was praying. I don't think she was fasting, and that's okay because you always pray when you fast. And God's answered her prayer. And I think it's so encouraging because of what's happened over the last five months and her stepping into this role. I just think it's encouraging for us as a church as we're longing for, for God to move uh, and to show up in, in a real tangible way. So Jill, I'd love, we'd love to hear your story. Yeah, just to clarify, definitely was not fasting. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, just, um, I mean, even just backstory before, um, you know, I took on the worship leader role, I wasn't on the worship team two and a half years ago. Um, and just, you know, felt this desire in my heart of like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could sing, you know, thinking things like that and having confirmation of people saying, why haven't you tried out? And, um, you know, talking to people around me and just months and months of kind of like working through this desire that was just in my heart. Um, and so same with this worship leader role, you know, seeing a need, um, feeling like somewhat equipped, but also very ill-equipped. Um, and again, like we, Justin had recommended a book, um, before his sabbatical, um, hearing God in conversation. And one part of that book that I love is that we kind of, when we hear stories from people about prayer, we think it's like this conversation of like, Hey God, what should I do? And then God says, like, are you ready to take a risk? You know, like, and we, and this conversation ensues, but this was months of me, like, you know, having this desire, you know, just being around my kids and saying, like, God, what should I do? God, is this for me? God, you know, what are you doing with our church? Like little moments um, until, you know, I had a focused moment of um, just sitting down and journaling and wanting to hear God and saying like, okay, this has been on my heart. Um, I need to hear what you want. And so kind of praying for protection over that time and saying, Lord, you know, I want to hear your voice in Jesus name. Like, please, um, you know, cast the enemy away from this place. Let me only hear you. Um, and just journaled a conversation. Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing. And then I stopped and I said, God, like, what do you want? And would you even want me in this role? And that's when I audibly heard, yes, you know, and it was very much like I knew this was from God. So again, like that one part of the story was like months and months of, you know, feeling tugs and and feeling the Lord. And so anyways, that was, was not fasting, but it was praying. <laughs> so uh- now that you've been leading worship for a while, what is that like for you? I mean, how does that feel for you to be doing what the Lord has asked you to do? Um, I would say it's probably one of the most life-giving things. I don't think I ever pictured myself um, in front of any of you <laughs> ever. Um, this was not the plan I had for myself. Um, and and yet it is truly the most life-giving thing. So I feel like when you follow what the Lord does, that's what happens. So. Amen. Thanks for sharing, Jill. Um, I invite the worship team up here. I'm going to pray for us. And just, I mean, God has a way of surprising us at times, doesn't he? I thought it was going to look like this, but it doesn't look like that. And so let's seek the Lord. Let's continue to worship today. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for our relationship with you, Lord. God, we love Jesus. We love the gospel message. We love that you've saved us from our sins. You've cleansed us by your blood. You've brought us home into your family. God, I pray for One Hope Church that we would not just know these things in an intellectual sense, but we would begin to experience the life of God in our lives and in our families and in our marriages, Lord, that you would be a real entity we would know your love, Lord. We'd experience your love in our heart. So I give this to you. I pray for the grace of fasting over this church in a couple weeks. And God, we ask that you would do amazing things, Lord. Surprise us. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.